good to be saved, isn't it? Good to be saved. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm glad that we can come into the house of God and gather around his word. You pray for me this morning. Uh, we're a bit dosed with the cold. This old voice has been starting to give up and trust that the Lord will help us uh, this morning. We're turning to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 3, please. Judges chapter 3. Sometimes it's a book that we forget about. We can pass over it very, uh, very easily. And we know many judges by name, off by heart, I'm sure. But I want to bring you to a judge this morning that's probably one of my most favorite characters in all of the Old Testament. And we're turning to the book of Judges and Judges chapter 3. And once you've found the place, just give me uh, your attention, please. This book of Judges spans from between uh, Joshua right through to Samuel, covering a period of almost over 300 years. There were difficult days in the days of Israel. They not only were difficult days, but they were dark days. And you know, time and time and time again, God intervened in the lives of his people. And while the children of Israel had come out of bondage, and while they had come out from the wilderness and over from Kadesh Barnea into the promised land, they were still in enemy territory. They were still in enemy ground. And you know, that's exactly like you and I as the people of God this morning. The Lord Jesus said that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in enemy territory here this morning. That's why at times we find it hard to read, hard to pray, hard to witness, hard to live for God because we know what it is for the enemy to attack time and time again. The first judge that the Lord rose up for the children of Israel but was a man by the name of Othniel. In verse 11, if you cast your eye to it, he was a man that was mightily used by God. And in verse 10, it says, the Spirit of the Lord God came upon him. And you know, dear men and women this morning, I want to encourage you to really go through with God because whenever the Spirit of God comes upon the people of God, there's victory and power. That's whenever the people of God know something of deliverance and God raised up a man in the nation to bring the people of God back from bondage. The Spirit of God rested upon him. He delivered the children of Israel from the king of Mesopotamia. And for 40 years, they knew something of victory and peace. If you cast your eye to verse 11, it says, And the land had rest 40 years. 40 years of victory. 40 years of peace. 40 years they knew what it was to have the upper hand over the enemy. And I wonder this morning as believers, do we know what it is to have the upper hand over the enemy in our Christian life? to know and enjoy the peace and the victory that the Lord can give. But this man, this first judge, in the end of verse 11, it says that he died. He died. And you know, just like most of the generations in the children of Israel, and even like our generation today, there was a generation arose that knew not the Lord, who knew not the Lord nor considered his ways. And we live in a generation in Northern Ireland today that does not know the things of God. 
We live in a generation, even in the church today, that not only don't know him, but do not consider the works of God that he has done and that he still can do today. The judges are marked, and the book of Judges is marked in that the people did that which was right in their own eyes. Every man just did what they wanted to do. And you know, dear men and women, even in the church this morning, if you and I just decide to do what we want to do, we will miss out on the blessing of God. If you and I just pick and choose from the word of God, we will rob ourselves of victory and of joy. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Now I want you to cast your eye this morning to verse 12. Because setting the context, after this man of God, Othaniel, was dead, and after enjoying 40 years of victory over the enemy, of enjoying 40 years of peace and rest and blessing, in verse 12 it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. It says actually in the revised version that the children of Israel did the evil in the eyes of the Lord again. You know, this was something that they did again and again and again. Something that the children of Israel, even to this very day, and in the churches guilty of today. Now you ask me, Stephen, what was the evil that the children of Israel did? What was this evil thing, this specific sin that the children of Israel were guilty of again and again and again? Well, in verse 7, it tells us that they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. My dear men and women, the greatest sin today in the church of Jesus Christ is that many of God's people have forgotten the Lord their God. That word forget there is the word to refuse. And I want you to give me your attention this morning because God has a word for your soul. God has something to say to you and I as individuals here today. These men and women, they forgot the Lord their God. You can see the departure of the people. They turned from the living God to idols that were made by hands of men. Idols that had ears but could not hear. They turned to idols that had hands but could not help. They turned to idols that had eyes but could not see. What an awesome thing to forget the one that brought them through the wilderness, that brought manna from heaven, that brought the water from the rock, that divided the sea, that slew the enemy, that chose them, loved them, blessed them. There was the cloud by day, the fire by night. My dear men and women, so easy it is to forget the goodness of God. So easy it is to forget the blessings of a bygone day. And these children of Israel, after 40 years of rest, blessing, and prosperity, they forgot the Lord their God. And there's a sequence always in the children of Israel. And I want to ask you even this morning, it could be in your own heart, they refused to listen to the Word of God. They refused to obey the Word of God. It wasn't that they didn't hear it. The problem was that they heard it and they refused it. My dear men and women this morning, so many times God speaks to us as individuals and we hear his voice 
so clearly. And yet time and time again, we can refuse to obey the word of God. I wonder, is there an area in your life that God has told you and spoke to you about? And you know down in your heart that you need to obey in order to get blessing. But this morning that you have refused the word of the Lord. The children of Israel not only refused him, they rebelled against him. There's always a sequence. Whenever God speaks to an individual and they refuse to hear, they always go in the opposite direction. There was a rebellion in the heart of the people of Israel. But they not only refused him, and they not only rebelled him, they removed him. My dear men and women, to think of that this morning, the mighty God that brought them from bondage out of Egypt, brought them from the hard taskmasters of slavery, brought them into the promised land, in a few short years they refused him, they rebelled against him, and then they removed him. But there's something else that they did. They went on another stage further and they replaced him. Because it says in verse 7 that they, they, they forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. They not only rebelled against him and they not only removed him, they replaced him. And my dear friends, this morning I want to ask you a question. Have you replaced the Lord in your life. Maybe you've replaced him with work. Maybe you've replaced him with, with the love of some other thing. Maybe some idol made in your life, whether it's entertainment, whether it's money, whether it's a relationship, whether it's some other individual, and they have taken the place of the Lord in your life. And just like the children of Israel, after the blessing, after the victory, after the joy for 40 years, they rebelled, they refused, they removed, and then they replaced the Lord, their God. And that's whenever the children of Israel went into defeat. If you cast your eye again to verse 12, it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, their God. They did it openly. They were not ashamed of it. They did it openly. They did it continually. They did it unashamedly. They removed him. They rebelled against him. And then they replaced him. My dear friends, this morning, you could be in the house of God. You could wear the right clothes. You could carry the Bible. You could sing. You could know the verses of Scripture. But down in your heart, you could have removed, rebelled, and replaced the first love of your life. Down in your heart, there's something else of sitting on the throne of your heart. It was Robert Robinson who penned that lovely hymn, Prone to Wonder, God, I Feel It. And you know, dear friends, this morning, that's probably why many of us are not enjoying the things of God the way we should. Most probably that's why we're not in touch with God the way we ought to be is because we've refused him, we've rebelled against him, we've removed him, and the final straw is we've replaced him. You see, the children of Israel, they still had the form of godliness. The children of Israel, they still had their outward show of religiosity. They still had the tabernacle. 
They still had the ark. They still had the priests. They still had the sacrifice. But down in their heart, they were separated from God. They had wandered far, far away from Him. Let us get our eyes just off the children of Israel. And let's get our eyes this morning on ourselves to think of the one that died for us, to think of the one that loved us before the foundation of the world, to think of the one that sent his dearly beloved son and there on the cross of Calvary died and suffered the just for the unjust. There he redeemed us by his precious blood and has blessed us, provided for us, cared for us, protected us day in and day out. And I want to ask you a question as I have asked myself before the Lord, have we as individuals in the evangelical church in Northern Ireland, have we refused the voice of the Lord? Have we went a stage further and rebelled against Him? Have we went another stage and removed Him? And have we went another stage, the final stage, have we replaced Him? And all the meantime still have the outward show of fundamental Protestantism in Ulster. And after all that we say and do, we leave the meeting unchallenged, unchanged. We go through the motions and every day it's just monotony, where we never seem to soar into higher heights with God, where we never seem to know anything of the God of Abraham, Isaac or Jacob, where we don't know much of his sense of his presence in our lives, where we don't really see the supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit in our daily occupation. My dear friends, this morning, whenever you and I as the children of God forget about all of the outward show and say to the Lord, open my heart, Lord, what do you see? I'll tell you what he might see. He might see this morning in the lifeboat and even on this pulpit Hearts that have refused, rebelled, removed, and replaced the Lord our God. You see, the children of Israel, they did it again and again and again. This was not just a once-off sin. This is something that the people of God were guilty of again and again and again. Now I want you to see there's not only the departure of the people. There's a displeasure of the Lord. If you cast your eye to verse 12 again, it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done this evil in their sight. And I say again, dear believer, in the meeting this morning, As I say to my own heart, so often we can see the outward sins, adultery. We can see the outward sins of drunkenness and drugs and debauchery. But the greatest sin, the most awful sin in the sight of God among his people is that they can forget the Lord their God. And the displeasure that was in his heart motivated God to rise up the enemy against his people. This was not the devil that rose up the king of Moab. This was God that strengthened the hand of Eglon. You know, dear friends, Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? 
But if God be against us, who can be for us? And here the children of Israel, with all of the rightward show and facade, had so grieved the heart of God, and he could say they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he was so grieved and wounded at their departure that he raised up the enemy against his own people. An old Puritan of a bygone day said these words, God can use whatever rod he likes to correct his people. Sometimes he uses the rod of bad health. Sometimes he uses the rod of financial difficulty. Sometimes he uses the rod of the weather. Sometimes God takes the rod of society to correct his people. But here in Judges chapter 3, God used the rod of a government to correct his people. Now I want to ask you a question. Has God give me this message early on Tuesday morning before the election ever happened? I wonder, is that the rod that God is going to use in Ulster today to get the attention of us as people, to put men and women into government that will slay the children. Now I want you to cast your eye on down again to verse 13. And King Eglon, king of Moab, and he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek. And the children of Ammon and the children of Amalek They all worshipped gods that demanded child sacrifice. And you can see that the heart of the Lord was so grieved. He was so wounded at the departure of his people that he raised up a government in the land to correct the people of God. And I ask you again this morning, is that what God's going to do in Ulster? Amalek is always a picture of the devil. He always came behind Exodus chapter 17. He went for the child and the mother. Ammon was the same. Ammon worshipped the god Moloch. And then whenever they sacrificed the children to Moloch, they used to have to beat a drum outside Jerusalem, a constant beat, just like the beat of music, to drown the screams of the children. There was a government that was placed into authority and society that God used to correct his people. And I'll tell you another thing. They were in power for 18 years. 18 years God led this government of evil dictatorship correct his people. Amalek is a picture of the devil. Ammon is a picture of the world. But Moab is a picture of the flesh. The devil always came from behind. Ammon always came from around. But Moab, Moab's strategy against the people of God was to come from within. You know, dear friends, this morning, the devil and the world would love to destroy you and I as the people of God. The devil, every moment of the day, and all his hordes and emissaries of the pit, are watching every move you and I make. Every thought, every word, every deed, weighing and scaling all of our activity. The world is seeking to pollute us. But you know the greatest problem that you and I have as the people of God is not the devil. The greatest problem that you and I face is not even the world. 
The greatest problem that you and I face every day is ourselves, the flesh, Moab. Amalek was from out. Ammon was from out. But whenever Moab came against the children of Israel and Balak couldn't curse them, you know what he said? King of Moab, he said, we will go among them and pollute them. Do you know, dear friends, this morning as the people of God, the greatest fight that we have is against the flesh. There's three things that mark the children of Moab that paint the picture of the flesh. They were marked by pride. Pride. They were marked by lust and immorality. And the third thing, they were marked by indulgence. That's why this King Eglon, if you read on down sometime in verse 17, it says he was a very fat man. He pulled all the restraints away. You know, dear friends, this morning, if you and I as the people of God intoxicate ourselves with pride, if we intoxicate ourselves with lust and indulgence, the flesh will have the upper hand. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, he talks about the flesh. He said in me that, that is in myself, there dwelleth no good thing. He said that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to another. That inner man, that old nature, even though we're saved, there's something within us of the old man that every day seeks to defeat us, seeks to cripple us, seeks to take us away from the things of God and the one that you feed the most will get the victory. And the children of Israel, they give place to the enemy. They grieved the heart of God. They removed him. They replaced him. They rebelled against him. And the God rose up the enemy against him. And if you cast your eye to verse 13, and he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and they went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. That's the city of Jericho. You'll remember when the children of Israel came over from Kadesh Barnea into the promised land, the very first victory that they had was Jericho. The very first place where they knew what it was to defeat the enemy was Jericho. Now you and I can look back to a day in our life when we were saved. A day in our life when we were born again, as it were, we came over Jordan. And there's maybe areas in our life, maybe pornography, maybe lust, maybe lies, maybe gossip, whatever it may be. And we came, as it were, to our Jericho, and God gave the victory, and I'm glad that he can and does give the victory. But I wonder, is that place of your first victory now the place of your present defeat? The victory's gone. Those days that you can look back to when God delivered you and released you from pride or sin or lust or whatever it is, immorality, whatever it may be, only you and God know. And that was a Jericho that you took. But the enemy has come back. Moab has come. Ammon has come. Amalek has come. And they've regained the ground that you used to hold as a believer. Maybe it was fear. And you got the victory over fear. Maybe it was unbelief. Whatever it is, I don't know. 
But the enemy has come back again. And the place, as I said earlier, the place of past victory is now the place of present defeat. The victory's gone. The joy's gone. The reality of hearing the voice of God, gone. And maybe this morning so many just going through the motions. Eighteen years they were in bondage to more. Eighteen is a number of judgment in the Bible. The last time that you ever read of the number eighteen is away over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, where there was a daughter of Abraham and she was bound by the devil. She was a daughter of Abraham. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, as Bertie launches out on these four Wednesday nights on bewitched believers, let me tell you something. I wonder how many here are bewitched by the devil and not only bewitched, but bound. My, there's some of you men have never heard you pray in a prayer meeting. Some of you have never heard you cry unto God for your children. And here was individuals, they were still going to the tabernacle. They were still going through the motions. They were still reciting the, 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 the scriptures, as it were, of what God had done in Egypt. But they had become bound by the enemy. The place that used to be victory is now defeat. And Eglon, the king of Moab, he used Jericho as his headquarters. The victory gone. The blessing gone. The power gone. The movements of God seem to be gone. And I want you to cast your eye to verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliver. Ehud, the son of Gireh, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, king of Moab. Eighteen years of bondage and slavery. Eighteen years of defeat. Eighteen years of being ruled by the enemy before they cried unto God. I'm glad that they did cry. You know, dear friends, you and I as the people of God, and I'm more than you, but we're slow learners. So often it takes us a long time to remember to cry unto God. Thirteen times in the book of Judges, it says that they cried unto the Lord. That's why there's thirteen judges in the book of Judges. Because every time the children of Israel cried, God raised up a deliverer. Every time they went into bondage and defeat, every time they acknowledged it, and cried for deliverance and restoration, God raised up a deliverer. And you could be in this meeting this morning, and you have backslidden, and you have went away from God, and no one else knows anything about it. My dear friends, I want you to remember this. There's always a way back. Thank God the God of salvation is the God of restoration. And those 18 years of bondage and slavery and defeat can be turned again to victory, joy, and power. I tell you, dear friends, this morning, the answer to our nation and with this government 
is the answer that was happening here on Wednesday night past. Whenever the people of God cry unto the Lord, he raises up a deliverer. And I want to encourage you tomorrow night and Wednesday night to get into the place of prayer because preaching will not do it, but prayer will because God is a God that answers prayer. The Bible says that he will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. And when he hear it, he shall answer thee. And you could be in this meeting this morning and you're praying many years for your family or for some situation. My dear men and women, keep crying unto God. And if you're here this morning and you're backslidden and you've indulged yourself in sin and it's almost ruined your life and it will ruin your life and you're no longer walking with God, you're no longer enjoying the Lord, I'll give you the remedy to restoration. Cry unto God. Cry unto God. And the children of Israel, they cried unto the Lord. Now finally, there's not only the departure of the people, And there's not only the displeasure of the Lord. There's a deliverance of the judge. And cast your eye again to verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gireh, a man left-handed. Here was a man out of the whole nation of Israel that was available for God. One man, one man Ehud, that was willing and ready for God to use. My dear friends this morning, what an ambition that would be for all of our lives to be in the place where we can say honestly before God, Lord, I want to be in the place where if you want a man or woman to seek revival through. I want to be that man or woman. I want to be available for God to use. This man was of the tribe of Benjamin, the war tribe. Benjamin is described as a ravening wool. It was from Benjamin that Esther came, that one woman that stood against ungodly Haman and turned the nation back to God. It was from the tribe of Benjamin that the Apostle Paul came from, a zealot, sold out and burnt out to God. Just one man available for for the Lord to use. My dear friends this morning, what an awesome ambition that would be for you and I to say this morning, Lord, from this day forward, I want to be available for you to use. I want to be available, Lord, whether in the place of prayer, whether in service on the street, whether in helping Robert on the doors, whether it's in this assembly, to say, Lord, I want to be available for you to use. There was one man in all of Israel like that, and he was Ehud. He was willing. He was willing and ready to go. But there's not only the willingness of this man. There's the weakness of this man. The Bible says that he was a man left-handed. And if you have a margin, it will tell you that he was shut of his right hand. This man was born with the operation of his two hands. 
But something happened in his life that wounded his right hand. The right hand is the hand of power and the hand of strength. The right hand is the hand of authority. But there was something happened to his right hand. Maybe he was wounded. I don't know. Maybe somebody dropped something on him and hurt him. I don't know. Maybe he fell. Maybe he hurt it. Whatever it was, it withered up and it was weak and it became a limitation to him. It became a hindrance to him. But my dear men and women, let me tell you this. When it comes to the things of God, the weaker you are, the better. The weaker that you and I as the people of God can be, the more he will use us. God's not interested in what you and I can do. God's not interested in your ability. God's interested this morning, are you available? Here was a man that could do nothing with his right hand. But he had one hand, the hand of weakness. And God took him. There's some of you here this morning, God hasn't called you to preach. God hasn't called you to the mission field. And wherever you are along the road of life, you've maybe said, Lord, what can I do? That's exactly the person that God is after. Here was a man marked by weakness and frailty. Paul said that he chooses the things that are foolish to confound the things that are wise. He calls the things that are weak to confound the things that are mighty. He uses the base things, the despised things, the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. My dear friends, this morning as a believer, if you're saved and you're weak, you're a candidate for God to use and the reason why God may not be using you is that you haven't made yourself available. And you know one of the best ways that you can make yourself available for God to use is to get into the local assembly. Because God will use you through the body of believers in the local church. And many of God's people, they skirt around the outside and they never come into fellowship. They never tie their roots down. They never commit themselves to work. And then they say, Lord, why do you not use me? Because God always uses the church and sends you out from there. You could be weak, but are you willing? Are you willing this morning to outrule all of your preconceived ideas and say, Lord, I'm going to do what you have told me to do? Or will you refuse him, rebel against him, remove him, and replace him? And God bypass you. It was Wearsby that said God uses the most unlikely saints to accomplish the most unexpected results. Moses was a stutter. The disciples were ignorant and unlearned men. Paul, it says that his bodily presence was weak. Fanny Crosby was blind. Gypsy Smith could hardly read. Spurgeon suffered from depression so severe that for many weeks he had to go to France just to relieve himself of the pressure. Hudson Taylor once was asked by a man and said, Sir, how is it that God has used you? And Hudson Taylor said, God searched Britain for a man weak enough that he could use and he found it in me. And Hudson Taylor was a man that went around the world preaching the gospel. 
Ehud was left-handed. But what about you? What about you? Are you going to be an Ehud? Are you going to amount to much in your Christian life and say, Lord, well, I can't do anything at the front. Well, I can't do anything maybe where men and women see me. Like these men that are building up in the back. Most of you don't even know who they are. But they're available for God. That's it. Because whenever you're there, that's when God will take you. Making yourself available in the prayer meeting nights. Making yourself available for God to use wherever you may be. Ehud was available. Now I want you to see something else this morning. There's not only the servant this man was, but there's the sword that he made. If you cast your eye down to verse 16, it says, But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges, a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. Here was a man knew that he needed a weapon to face the enemy. And this one-handed man begins to make a sword. I was out last night, and I was bringing in the washing. And Emily was on my shoulders. I was holding her one foot with my right hand. And I says, I must just try this, just like Ehud did. And I tried to take the washing off with the left hand, and most of them fell on the ground. But here was a man, with all of his limitation and disability, Long hours and late nights in front of the fire in the forge. With one hand, you imagine him now over the anvil and over the fire. Just secretly working alone. Preparing for the day that God was going to use him. Hammer blow after hammer blow. The sweat coming off his brow. Day in, day out. It would maybe have taken him three or four times longer than an ordinary blacksmith. But here was a man who made himself a sword. My dear friends, this morning, if you and I are going to be much for God, we'll need to know something about the sword. The two-edged sword of the word of God with long hours and late nights, whatever time it takes to get to know this word. And here was a man, he made it and he mastered it with left hand. The hand of weakness. I can see him whenever he made it. He holds his sword. But no power, no strength. But this man, after patience and persistence, he gets to use it. He gets a grip upon it. He gets to master it. And you know, whenever he, he who'd used it, he used it well. Whenever this man used the sword, he used it well. And here was a man that knew what it was to take time to prepare for service. My dear friends this morning, prepare for the battle. Prepare for service. Here was a man that got a grip upon the word of God. And then he mounted it upon his right thigh so that he could pull it out with his left hand. And that speaks to me as believers. We not only need to master the word, we need to walk by the word. He put it upon his thigh every time that he stepped. He would have stepped gently. Lest that sword would have went into his leg. My dear friends, the word of God says, let us walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. We're to walk worthy. We're to walk circumspectly. We're to walk in honesty before the Lord. 
to walk according to the word of God. My dear friends this morning, that's where God will use us. Here was this man and he had plenty of excuses. But he set the excuses aside. And there's some of you here this morning, you've excused yourself long enough from the house of God. You've made excuse after excuse. I couldn't do that. Oh, I couldn't help out there. My dear men and women, God needs you. And we as elders, we want to see you growing and helping in the things of God. Here was a man that prepared for service. And as we close, let us read a few verses together. Verse 17. And he brought the present or the gift unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end of offering the present, he sent the people away that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king. Keep silent. And all that stood by him went out from him. And here was Eglon. He came with this present, this bondage money that Israel was going to pay to Moab. And he comes and he presents it before Eglon. And it seems to me that the turn, they all go out from the presence of this king. And it says in the midst of verse 19, but he himself turned again from the quarries that were at Gilgal. And if you have a margin in your Bible, it'll tell you about the images or the idols. Now here was a man. He felt something of the stirring of God in his soul. He came out from the bondage of paying the money to Eglon, and he comes down to Gilgal. And Gilgal was the place where the children of Israel crossed over Jordan. It was the place where God ruled away the reproach of Egypt. It was there where they were first liberated. It was there where they rededicated themselves to the Lord. It was there where the twelve stones as a pillar stood as a memorial to the power and authority and the promises of God. And whenever Ehud left the presence of the king and went down to Gilgal, the place of victory and deliverance, and he saw all of the idols of Moab, he never even heard the screams of the children. Ehud's heart stirred within him. Ehud remembered that this was the very place where God brought us out of bondage. This is the very place where the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate appeared to Joshua. And as he stood and looked at the place where used to be victory, the place of dedication, now given over to idols, Ehud says, now's the time to deal with the enemy. And he makes his way back, going back with his withered right hand, and if you cast your eye again to the middle of verse 19, and he said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, keep silent. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in his summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God, Unto thee. And he arose, that's Eglon, 
And he who'd put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft or the handle also went in after the blade. And the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out. Here was a man full of holy zeal and holy indignation as he stood and looked at all of what the enemy had done. The place of victory, the place where the Lord Jesus appeared to Joshua, the place of dedication, now given over to idols. And he turns and he goes back into the presence of Eglon and he says, King Eglon, I have a message for you from God. And Eglon puts out all the servants. And he who gets alone, And as he looks at Eglon in the eyes and Eglon stands up, that very fat man, he who puts his hand down into the sword that he'd prepared, down into the sword that took hours, days and nights to use, and he pulled the dagger out and he thrust it into his belly. The very handle went in. My, this man, he used it well. And the dirt came out. My dear friends, if you have an Eglon in your life that needs to be slain, whether it's pride, whether it's pornography, whether it's secret drinking, whether it's immorality, whether it's gambling, whether it's lying, whether it's gossiping, and Eglon is on the throne of your heart, you know what you need to do. You need to get alone before God, and you need to pull the word of God out, and you need to kill it. And it says whenever he stuck the sword in, that the dirt came out. Here was a man who God used who was available for God to use at the right time. You cast your eye on again as we come to a close. In verse 21. And he who'd put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade and the fat closed upon it so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly and the dirt came out. Then he who went forth through the porch and shut the doors to the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covereth his feet in the summer parlor. And they all tarried till they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of his parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead upon the earth, and he who'd escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries, he went back to the place of dedication, he went back to the place of commitment, he went back to the place of victory, he went back to the place where the Lord Jesus appeared to Joshua, my dear men and women, it's time that many of us went back. Go back. In verse 27, and it came to pass, When he was come, he blew the trumpet in Mount Ephraim. And if you study your Bible, you'll discover that this is the first time that the trumpet was blown since they blew the trumpet at at Jericho. You'll remember they walked around Jericho and then they blew the trumpet and the Lord gave the victory. Time has beaten me this morning. But my dear men and women, I'm glad that the trumpet can blow again. And in your life, maybe a life of defeat, And Eglon is upon the throne, secret pride and secret lust and secret sin, no matter what it may be. My dear men and women, make this a Sunday morning for the victory trumpet to blow again. 
And it says in verse 29 and 30 that Moab was subdued under the hand of the enemy for 80 years. The greatest period of victory that the children of Israel ever knew was under the hand of Ehud, longer than any other judge. A man that was willing and available for God to use, he brought deliverance back to the people. You know, whenever Ehud was described as a deliverer, it's also the word Savior. I tell you, I'm glad that there was one. I'm glad there was one that was available. I'm glad there was one that was willing to come. I'm glad there was one that could say, not my will, but thine be done. And he came down to this old sin-cursed world. And there, his hands, his two hands were nailed to the cross. And there he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And he suffered. And he died alone. The greatest deliverer that ever was. My dear friends this morning. Some of you here have heard the greatest preaching in all of Ulster. It's time that you went through with God. Go through with God. Kill the flesh. Get the victory again. Come back to the Lord this morning. We'd love to help you. Whether you want somebody to open the word of God and pray you with you, we'll do that. Get again on fire for God. Go through with the Lord.